Good to see you guys. Um, thanks, Nicholas. Uh, I, was, I was talking to someone before the service started, and I mentioned to that person, we are talking about being sleepy, uh, and I mentioned to that person that uh, there are, are days, especially in the afternoon like this, that if I weren't up here speaking, that I would probably fall asleep during this part. Um, and that wasn't, uh, that's no commentary on where, like, like my desire to be listening. It's just more commentary on the things that my body does. <laughs> uh, so if you feel comfortable enough, uh, okay, let me start over. Um, <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not inviting you to take a nap right now. Uh, but what I am saying is that if it just so happens that uh, you're able to fall asleep in, in God's presence tonight, um, listening to the uh, proclamation of God's word, then just bless that. Like, that's, uh, we can call that spiritual. Uh, we can. We can call that spiritual. Um, yeah. This is one of those moments, like, where I'm on the edge of just preaching a completely different sermon. And I probably should some days. Um, the problem is that if I try to preach a completely different sermon, I'm not exactly sure how long that second sermon would be. <laughs> Uh, and so, um, right now I'm saying that for your sake, I'm just going to choose the one uh, that I had already worked on that I sort of know how long it's going to be. Christ the King, it's still Easter. It's still Easter. Uh, and I say this to you, I say this to you not um, just to make sure that we're crossing all our uh, liturgical T's and dotting all our church calendar I's. Uh, but I say this to you because I really do think that like, part of what we're doing here when we gather together is that we're putting our bodies um, into rhythms and practices that uh, kind of kickstart our hearts and our minds. Um, so I say to you, Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So we repeat that. We do that. We try to live into that to... to, to put our bodies into the reality, this Easter reality, that it isn't this thing that happened a few weeks ago that now we're like past Mother's Day and we're wearing on into summer, but that it actually is reality. It actually is the reality that we're invited um, to see, uh, to give witness to, to enter into. And that's what we've been talking about these past few weeks. Is, and we've talked about how Acts, this... Um, this book that Luke wrote that was the second part to his gospel, uh, in many ways what we see in Acts is what the resurrection life of Christ looks like as it continues to unfold in the world. And in the witness, the testimony that Luke gives about what the resurrection life of Christ looks like as it continues to unfold in the world, that this witness is for us. And it helps shape us and helps spark our imaginations for what it looks like to be the kinds of people who don't just believe that Jesus rose from the dead 2,000 years ago. We believe that that happened. But we're also the kinds of people who want to live in light of that reality now. Not just, not just in terms of because we remember that it happened, but because we actually think that something new is happening in reality in our lives in light of what Jesus did 2,000 years ago in light of what God will do in the future, that all that changes our present. And so in some ways, what we're asserting here is that the gospel, that Jesus' life, his incarnation, his life, his death, and his resurrection, 
that it makes a difference. So maybe a good place to begin tonight is just by asking the question, where do you guys long to see a difference? This could be a big thing, like a, like a big thing in the world, um, or it could be a smaller thing, something more local to the city or more local to your work or your life or your school or the things that you're walking through right now. Where do you long to see difference? You may remember uh, about a year ago, a little over a year ago, there was the tragic uh, shooting in, um, in Parkland uh, at the school, at the high school there, the Stoneman Douglas. You guys remember this. I mean, we've seen it play out in, in other ways, too, since then. Um, you guys may remember, though, that uh, right after this event, there were these students. There were like four or five students um, who started this movement this uh, hashtag never again movement where they had resolved that they had had enough of a world in which they had to live in fear that today may be the day when someone kicks in the doors and, and shoots up the school. Never again. So they, they had this, this kind of, uh, what's the word? Viral. This viral movement of never again uh, against gun violence. And so their protest, it, it, it went viral very quickly. Um, you may remember that these students, um, these uh, like uh, two guys and three girls or something like that, they, they made all the news rounds. Um, they hit up all the talk shows. Um, they were even featured on the cover of Time magazine. You guys remember this? They led a march. Thousands of people rallied behind them in hopes of making a change of making a difference. And people began to think that, that maybe that these kids, these students, maybe they have enough power, maybe they have the kind of popularity, maybe they have the kind of charisma to make a difference. Maybe they have what it takes, the kind of influence to change um, the powers that were working against them, to speak up against the National Rifle Association or whatever. Maybe they have it. We're shaped in a world to believe that the energy, uh, the momentum that is most impactful, that makes the most difference, is the kind of energy that flows through channels of power and popularity and position. It may seem like all of the momentum for change and difference in our lives flows through channels of power and popularity and position. Maybe you long for change in an area, but maybe you feel discouraged or defeated because you lack the kind of power or popularity or position necessary to make a difference. Do any of you feel like that? As you, as you think of maybe, maybe the, the situation that I named, I mean, we, with gun violence, I mean, we could name uh, a dozen other kind of larger social issues that are facing us that I'm sure if, the, if you're like me, when you hear about them, it makes you really frustrated. Like, how do we make a difference? But when you think about or you're faced with, like, how do we actually make a difference with this, with this maybe you're also confronted by that feeling of, like, well, I don't have the position or the power 
or the popularity in order to make a difference. Maybe you've started to wonder, do I or do we, whatever group, maybe it's this church, maybe it's a different group, do we have enough of that in order to make a difference? Maybe you think, I don't have enough, a big enough platform, a large enough Twitter following, enough charisma, enough money, I don't have the right position, I don't have the right education, I don't, these aren't the right circumstances, I'm not in the right season of life in order um, to be in the channels of influence that make a difference. Do any of you guys feel this way? Not too long ago, I, there was uh, a, a church that I saw that was having this conference um, on uh, Jesus in the workplace. And I remember the kind of lineup, this panel that they had to talk about Jesus in the, the workplace were, I'm sure, like four or five of the, uh, very wonderful people, I'm sure, but they were all from like, like CEO of Fortune 500 company, um, CFO of this big startup business, um, uh, head um, of, you know, like these were people with popularity and power and privilege and position. And I began to wonder, like, I, I, like, where's the, like, where's the mom raising four kids? Where's, uh, you know, it's like, it, it, it begins to shape our imagination. That kind of thing begins to shape our imagination into, into thinking that the, the kinds of um, energy that, that actually make a difference flow through these channels of power and position and popularity. I've even, just to confess, I've even began uh, to wonder recently, I don't, I don't have Twitter, I'm not on Twitter, this is more just by accident than like on purpose, and, um, but I'm not on Twitter, and I've even begun to wonder recently as I've thought about how do I become the kind of person who, um, who's a part of making a difference, I began to wonder, do I, do I need to be on there to make a difference? I asked someone that recently, I actually asked them, I was like, can you tell me more about what is going on here? And do I need to be on here to make a difference? I mean, I, I can acknowledge that like some of that question um, is, uh, is, there's some ego in that for me, right? Some of it comes from ego, but some of it is like just this deep belief that I have that that's actually the change that matters most, the change that makes a difference. It comes through those channels. And I feel like if I lack that, then how will I be the kind of person who makes a difference? Do you guys ever feel this way? Do you guys ever feel like that, that God may have saved my soul through love and self-giveness, but making a difference now, socially in this world, now that requires a different strategy. That requir- requires a different set of resources in order to make a difference. God may have um, come to earth and uh, gave his self himself, shed his blood on a cross outside the city. But I want to know how I can get a platform in the middle. You ever feel this way? Christ the King, the good news that we proclaim in the midst of, of, of that world today is that God is making all things new in Christ. But it's not happening through normal channels of influence. It's happening outside the city gates. That the same God who gave himself for us 
outside the city gates is continuing to transform the world outside the city gates among those willing to say yes to the surprising, disruptive work of God in intimate, messy communities comprised of diverse people joined together in Christ's body who cultivate a life shared together that witnesses both to inner and social transformation in Christ. Do you want to join today? That's our question today. Do you want to be a part of that today? We're invited to be a part of that, to the renewal that God is working outside the city gates. This is what Acts 16 gives witness to. We see in Acts chapter 16 that Paul and his companions are led by the Spirit to Philippi. Uh, Paul is actually, if uh, we see there in the reading, that Paul has had a dream. Um, they tried to go up into this. There, so if you imagine like uh, modern day, western modern day Turkey, tr- they tried to kind of go north, but the Spirit prevented them from going that way. And Paul had this dream, this man from Macedonia who said, come over to us. And Paul felt compelled then to travel over to where modern, modern, kind of the eastern bit of where modern day Greece is, travel over there and preach the gospel. So uh, Paul and his companions are led by the Spirit, and they kind of wander around over there, and they land in Philippi, this, uh, this leading city, this, uh, this major city, this kind of metropolitan area. It was, a, it was an important place. Important things were happening in Philippi. I'm just going to read again really fast. Where did I put it? Aha! Read again really fast what it says. Verse 13. It says, On the Sabbath day we went outside the gate by the river, where we supposed there was a place of prayer. And we sat down and spoke to the women who gathered there. A certain woman named Lydia, a worshiper of God, was listening to us. She was from the city of Thyatira and a dealer in purple cloth. The Lord opened her heart to listen eagerly to what was said by Paul. When she and her household were baptized, she urged us, saying, If you've judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come and stay at my home. And she prevailed upon us. There's a whole lot going on here. There's a whole lot of really subtle stuff that's going on here that Luke is kind of communicating between the lines here. And I get really amped up about it, as you might guess, seeing as how most of you probably know that we named uh, one of our daughters after Lydia. So I'm going to try to focus it in and not go off the rails. But if you think I'm going off the rails, just say something. So... Just imagine for a minute, imagine for a minute, these men, these, these men doing the work of God, they're, these missionary men doing the work of God, receiving a divine word to go over to this important place to preach the gospel, and they arrive in Philippi, and where they find themselves is not like um, at the home of like the, the mayor, or whatever they called the mayor, what do they call the mayor in the first, what are we talking, the city pro-council, some, something or another, they're not like in in the like the mega synagogue of Philippi, like getting a, a big gathering, like converting people. Right? They're not in these centers, uh, uh, channels of power. They find themselves on this outside the city gates. Christ the King. 
they find themselves following the Spirit outside the city gates, outside the mechanisms of popularity, power, and position among the women who were holding prayer there. I feel like I'm so amped up about this that all I can do is just like say what it says and just let that simmer. The Spirit of God was leading these men outside the city gates to this place of prayer among the women. Outside the mechanisms of popularity and power and position. And I want to suggest that on this day... So, yeah, I'm all over the place. I'm sorry. Just bear with me. Thank you for bearing with me. Like Luke, so Luke is with them. Luke is with them at this point. The pronouns in Acts change from I to we. Luke is with them. And I like to think that Luke... So Luke includes these stories, never just because he's recounting things that happen. He, he records these stories on purpose. And he records this story because I think that this is like the Lydia moment for them. This is, this, I think that he was with Paul and these companions. And I think that this moment that they experienced with Lydia changed things for them. I think that Paul got saved that day. You tracking with me? Lydia got saved. Paul got saved. Man, I'm focusing, trying to stay focused. There's so much going on here. Everybody gets saved that day. Lydia responds to the gospel and displays hospitality, prophetic hospitality. I'll say more about that in just a second. Um, Luke says that the Lord opened Lydia's heart to listen. What we see is that Christ was already at work in Lydia's life. Christ was already, before Paul and his companions got there, Christ was already at work in Lydia's life. Christ was already making a home for his life in Lydia's life. What we've talked about is, is how, as the resurrection life of Christ unfolds, it unfolds in all the places where, it, where you wouldn't expect that it would unfold, among the people whom you wouldn't un- expect that it would be unfolding, in places that are often considered unclean, and among people who are considered unclean. All the, the social rules are being flipped upside down, and that's happening here. That's another sermon that I can't preach right now, about how social conventions are just being flipped upside down right now. And, and Luke doesn't say a whole lot about it, but just imagine that like, this is hard for Paul and his companions. We can imagine that. So Christ is, is already making a home for his life and Lydia's life and in these other women And when confronted with the good news, when confronted with the good news, Lydia just says yes. Lydia does what Mary, the mother of Jesus, does. When confronted with the good news that they just must receive on faith, Lydia, like Mary, let it be to me according to your word. She just says yes. And the impression that we get is that it just kind of happens, like, just in the middle of Paul talking. This happens a, a couple times in Acts. Is like, the, the, the men get up and, to preach the sermon, the, like, the big important sermon, in order to, like, convince people that the gospel is true. And we, they have these accounts where, like, they're just in the middle of the sermon, and it just seems like that people are like, I'm in! <laughs> like, like, no more convincing, I'm just in, because their heart is soft, because Christ is already at work in their life. What's true of Lydia is true of us too, Christ the King. Christ is already at work in our lives. Out ahead of us, proveniently is the fancy theological word for what we're talking Christ is proveniently, I mean, you could put that in a different category that gets into a debate about things, but that's what I'm trying to do. I'm saying that like Christ is out ahead of us. He's out ahead of me, he's out ahead of you, and he's at work in your life. 
before you even knew that that was a place where Christ was working. Making a home for his life and your life. Christ is already at work. We don't have to force it. We just have to listen and look. Listen and look for the grace in our life and in others' life. Of course, we have this this phrase that Luke says that is loaded with so much here. She prevailed upon us. She prevailed upon us. Lydia, being converted in that moment, instantly grasped. Track with me here. She instantly grasped the implications of Jesus' resurrection in her life. She instantly grasped that Jesus' resurrection makes a difference, not just for her soul, but for her entire way of life. For her entire social life. And so she teaches them, she teaches Paul and his companions what it means to be joined together in Christ's body. That the resurrection life can never be transactional. That it involves and includes a way of shared life together. Hospitality. That that must be birthed. She convinces them of this. She prevailed upon them. She gets that, that when Christ's resurrection life unfolds, that a way of life shared together, of hospitality, is birthed. And so she, she has this kind of prophetic hospitality. We see that, that and in fact, her hospitality becomes central to how Christ's resurrection life unfolds in Philippi. We see that from, from this space in her home. Man, there's so much I want to say here. From this space in her home, of sharing, of life together, in Christ's resurrection life, oppressive forces are confronted in Philippi. We see in the, in, right after this that Paul proclaims healing and liberation to a slave girl who has this, uh, the spirit of, di- of divination. Um, the spirit of, of divination that, that helps people. In, uh, uh, it's like a soothsayer. You guys know about soothsayers? Telling the future? It's like you come and you're like, what's my future going to hold? Tell me. Soothsayer. That's what she does. Um, and her healing, the thing about this is that the healing of this woman, that her healing provokes the unjust and oppressive economic systems in Philippi. You see that? That her healing provokes that. After they proclaim liberation in this girl's life, uh, Paul and his companions are accused of disturbing the city. Of, of challenging the Roman way of life. We see that liberation included this, this girl's whole self, not just her, her soul, but her whole self. Release liberation from the powers, the oppressive forces that ha- held her in bondage gave way to social liberation and justice in her life. And it provoked the way in which those unjust systems were at work in Philippi, so much so that it got Paul and his companions and Silas and others thrown in prison. I wonder, I wonder what things keep people in bondage in northwest Arkansas. Let's just think about that for a second. What, what kind of things keep people in bondage in northwest Arkansas? And the kind of things that I have in mind are, are not, the, not the like... Because one of the things that we see Paul doing is he's not confronting this directly, right? 
He's, he's proclaiming liberation from the things that stand behind the things. Because if Paul and his companions would have just come in and tried to like set fire to the economic system, to the unjust economic system, they cut off the head of that beast, and one more, one more just grows up right where it was cut off. They may have claimed a victory for that day, but another one would have just grown right back up. But what we see Paul and his companions doing is proclaiming liberation from the powers and principalities that stand behind those unjust systems. They're, very, they're involved in it, but they're proclaiming the powers that stand behind it. And so I wonder, if, if people, what powers in northwest Arkansas that people are in bondage to, that if we proclaim liberation from those things, if people, even in northwest Arkansas, might accuse us of not being American enough, or not being Fayetteville enough, that if we accuse liberation from those things, uh, announce liberation of those things, that we would get accused of that, that, we, that it would disrupt and upset the systems that keep people in bondage. And we, we learn in Acts 16 is that if we want to be witnesses to that kind of thing, that that doesn't happen primarily by directly like, like storming down the middle of the street and setting fire to City Hall, but it happens in these communities of hospitality of shared life together. I'm all over the place. Again, thanks for bearing with me. Jean Vanier, uh, uh, who passed away a few weeks ago, um, this uh, priest uh, who led this LARC community, was a a community um, that's now international, um, but a community uh, where people um, live with adults with disabilities. I, as I think about the, the kind of thing that's being described here, I think about Jean Meunier in La Arc, and I think about Henry Nouwen, who was also this, this theologian and priest who was a part of La Arc, and, and how both um, Jean Meunier and Henry Nouwen, they both divested themselves of the normal channels of power and, and popularity and privilege. I mean, Nouwen was like, he was a professor at Harvard and Yale and was like, a brilliant theologian speaking all over the place and left all of that to be a part of this community um, of the Ark. They divested themselves of all of this to, sh- to share in the life of, of, these, of people who were outside the city gates. And it was in cultivating hospitality in that space, by doing that, that challenges the sin that keeps us in bondage. The kind of life that they live to get, like, with other people, sharing life and hospitality with, with people, it was that kind of life that challenges all the violence and, and dehumanization and greed and consumerism. They weren't trying to garner influence through normal channels of power. They weren't primarily motivated by, by writing the next, like, best-selling novel or, or being, like, on the news or whatever. They were just cultivating life together, hospitality with people on the out, outside the city gates. And yet it was in these communities that, that the substance to be a witness against all the junk in the world, that that was cultivated. Where do you long to see a difference? Where do you long to see a difference? Maybe you've become cynical or discouraged. Or maybe you're anxiously reaching for influence like I am. What if, what if today, what if we just started with the assumption that Christ is already at work in us? What if we just started with the assumption that Christ is already at work in us, that the seeds of new creation are already planted, 
and that God's revolutionary new life is not flowing through the normal channels of, of popularity and power and position, but it's, but it's flowing outside the city gates in a hospitable community. The last thing I'll say about this is, uh, again, to, to bring in Henry now, and as, as he calls, when we think about what that hospital, hospitable community, that shared life together is characterized by, he, he talks about it as um, being um, both uh, the mystical life and the revolutionary life. The mystical life meaning like the life that is about inner transformation, about the inner transformation that comes as like we really seek and, and focus in on um, being uh, released from the things that keep us in bondage and keep us distanced from God. But also uh, that revolutionary part, the, the social transformation, the fact that the things that live in us, the, the oppression, the bondage that lives in us also lives out there in the world. And then we're invited to be witnesses to how those things are at work. This is what we're invited into. So the question is just this. Will you join this revolution today? What does it look like for you to join? So let's just uh, let's offer this prayer. Let's start by, by just naming where, uh, where we long to see a difference. So uh, here's, here's a prayer that um, I invite you maybe to offer out loud uh, during our time of prayer. Father, I long to see Christ's resurrection life make a difference in. Let's just start by naming it. Father, I long to see Christ's res- resurrection life make, make a difference in um, some in Fayetteville, uh, among a certain group of people, in, in your marriage, in your work life, wherever. Amen. Um.